1: Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the June 25th episode, and as always, we are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, we have one of my favorites back on the mailbag, John Daigle. He covers football betting at NBC Sports, NBC Sports Edge Fantasy. He's an Emmy Award winner, FSWA Award winner. Been on the mailbag before. He covers so much. He's one of the hardest working people in the industry. Just kills it. Favorite follow on Twitter at not J Daigle. John Daigle back on the mailbag. It's June, man. And I think the pandemic is behind us.
2: I'm gonna let the people down after that intro. Actually, what an <laughs> introduction. Uh the pandemic is mostly behind us. There, are, of course both people and teams that for whatever reason are not going to get vaccinated and m- make our lives much more complicated. But for the most part, we're all out of it and trying to return to normalcy.
1: That's the goal here. And you've been doing so many great things over at what used to be Roto World. We've now we, That will be held in the archives of the Hall of Fame here of Fantasyland. But now NBC Sports Edge, you have the best ball tiers. Season previews are coming out, folks. Got to check it out. Uh, I remember you came on last year for week 13. You got us ready for the fantasy football playoffs. You talked about working hard and then getting lucky for that job. So now talk about where you're up to and the great changes at what is now NBC Sports Edge.
2: Oh, so the site basically pivoted to more betting as well and becoming NBC Sports Edge over World allowed us to all gather under one umbrella. We have our own YouTube channel now. For those that don't know, you can go to NBC Sports Edge there on YouTube and subscribe and you will get our shows um, as well as our betting shows. Bet the Edge with Drew Densick, who's a terrific individual, and Sarah Perlman, who does a great job hosting and actually learning about betting throughout the process as well. And both of them just put together an amazing show. Also a good football show and finally getting under a bigger branch um, got thrown onto Peacock now as well. So if you subscribe to Peacock, you can actually watch the videos and podcasts
1: there. Oh, it's a home run, man. And your content is, is top shelf across the board. Let's kick it off with looking at those mid- to late-round running backs. John, I feel like the key to any fantasy draft, but maybe more so this year than ever before, is to properly assess those mid- to late-tier running backs, whether it's modified RB, anchor RB, whatever the heck you want to call it, RB. That seems to be the lead strategy. It's one that we certainly support here at Rotovis. So I wanted to look at some mid-round running backs and get your reaction. First off is David Montgomery. David Montgomery was a Fantasy League winner last year. He killed it down the stretch. He just had the volume. He had the production. But now, of course, there's uncertainty with the quarterback position. They say Andy Dalton's the starter. No one's buying it. Traded up for Justin Fields. Monty, can he do it again? What's your outlook on Monty for the Bears this year? He's a
2: very nuanced player and complicated player to talk about because he did explode. He showed literal overall RB1 upside during the home stretch last season. But a lot of that is attributed to the schedule he played. He actually faced off against Football Outsiders number 18, 27, 29, 30, and 24 rush defense DVOAs in that span. Also, remember... Tariq Cohen was out from week four on, and thus, without Tariq Cohen, Montgomery was allowed to run 28 routes per game. And so, not only will Tariq Cohen come back, but even if he's brought along slowly, in my mind, Montgomery's ceiling is capped because Damian Williams does exist. Thus, there's someone else there to take that role away from Montgomery. So, it is possible, sure, even though I think it's more hopeful than anything, that Montgomery opens the year with a pass-catching role, and thus, we should value him higher. But from my view right now in late June, early July, I think that's not possible for him. Thus, he should be treated as an RB 20 to 24, that range.
1: There may not have ever been a more accurate description of Damian Williams than Damian Williams does exist. That's all you need (laughs) to say. He's not going to dominate, but he is, as they say in rounders, hanging around. That's what he does. He's like poor man's... C-E-H, actually, because like yeah. even with the
2: Chiefs, he was so his best attribute was running that wheel route out of the backfield and Mahomes just dumping it off to him and letting him fly. Uh, I haven't been taking much of him in offseason best ball leagues, but in the event I do have Justin Fields, who I still think is very undervalued as well, and you're getting him with one of, if not both, Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney, I don't mind sprinkling in Damian Williams in the last round because he would be that pass catching back anyways, I think,
1: whether Montgomery is healthy or not. David Montgomery had an ADP of RB29 in the preseason, finished as the RB4. Certainly, this year we think it's going to be much lower than that. Next up, let's go to Miami. Miles Gaskin, another polarizing player, man, because Miles Gaskin did produce last year, was solid. All phases of the game, but it's still Miles Gaskin. People still view him as was it a one-year wonder? Was it just the Kenyon Drake bumped there for one year and then Kenyon Drake disappointed last year? Or you want to go back a couple years, Justin Forsett. Miles Gaskin, you buy it in here in Miami. Malcolm Brown is a double-edged sword because on one end, it
2: is Malcolm Brown, on the other end. It is Malcolm Brown. Uh, Brian Flores even came out and said he's very much aware that Brown with the Rams was used on third down and short yardage situations. And that's what we want for when We still want him to be a goal line runner, essentially, because everything else lines up. He averaged 20 touches per game when he was healthy last year for the Dolphins. He had a 13% target share, so he was also exclusively their pass catching back. And Brown is the only one who stands in his path to truly having a ceiling that could land him genuinely inside the the top 12 RBs just in that outside range. And so... I think Brown plays a role as the short yardage guy, honestly. Having said that, I still would rather be above consensus in the industry on Gaskin. And by the way, the same goes for, maybe you'll talk about him here, but Mike Davis and Chase Edmonds, I think their ceiling is higher. I understand there are roadblocks in their way, but it's basically just like one little roadblock for each. And if we are wrong in assessing their situations, that means their ceiling is significantly higher than where they're being drafted because all are being treated as low-end RB2s right now. So those are... kind of three guys I would rather be higher on that consensus
1: yeah let's pivot to Mike Davis I mean he saves so many people's bacon that had a Christian McCaffrey last year and were smart enough to pick him up or even grab him you know preseason as in a deeper league as like a last stash on the bench but again not a large sample of production from him on a consistent basis it's just in Atlanta John it seems like there's minimal competition Kadri Allison, a fourth rounder who the new regime inherited,
2: unlike Mike Davis, who they obviously went out and signed. Uh, Javion Hawkins did land there, but again, historically undrafted free agents just have a hard time carving out any role, let alone one to become a three-headed timeshare. And so the knock against Mike Davis that everyone is using is that he weathered down throughout the off, throughout the season last year. His last month, recall, he just wasn't as explosive. He wasn't as good as breaking tackles. If you look behind the scenes at Pro Football Focus's number, my issue with that stance, though, is remember, that was 100-plus more touches than he had in any season throughout his career, and he wasn't expecting that. And the limited reps he played, he was still behind a Christian McCaffrey and then got thrust into the fire as literally an every-down option, whereas this year, he was signed and he has that workload on his shoulder Shoulders. He's at least accustomed. And he knows how to train for it. Also, he's going to open the season and have OTAs, which he did. He's going to have a whole training camp. He's going to actually have a legitimate training regimen to be the every down option. And so, sure, maybe he's not. Maybe they use a committee. But we know he's still the pass catching back among those three guys. And also three down option is in his range of outcomes, if not probable. So that's why I also don't mind reaching over that end of RB two range for Mike Davis thinking I'm getting the RB 14 to 16 overall.
1: For those that end up hammering wide receiver early or do do an anchor RB and then wait on the second RB. So many people love Zach Moss. Why? Even though he wasn't particularly impressive last year, he's in an explosive offense Josh Allen, number one in fantasy points per game on quarterbacks, fantastic year. And you figure at some point there is going to be running back production. Devin Singletary hasn't done much to distinguish himself. They brought in Matt Breida, which outside John on Twitter, seeing that he's like the fastest rusher when people measure the speed right on the big uh, explosive run. They say Matt Breida was at top speed faster than anyone, but he always ends up getting hurt. Zach Moss, it's a committee, but what do you think? Bill's running backs averaged the fourth fewest touches per
2: game last year, just 21 and a half. And in their 14 healthy games together, Moss and Singletary nearly mirrored each other in carries, 119 to 117 in favor of Moss. Uh Singletary was actually the pass catching back in those games. He saw 38 targets to Moss's 21, whereas Moss was the the running back inside the 5-yard line, seeing 11 carries inside the 5 to Singletary's 3. The issue is Moss has still had to deal with Josh Allen, who had eight carries inside the five-yard line, and we know isn't going away. Plus, the team also had the second highest pass play rate, both in neutral game script and with the lead over the second half of the season once everyone returned to health. And so my issue in drafting Bill's running backs at all, thinking they matter, is I don't think people are asking, this goes for a lot of things in life, like what do we win if we actually win? If we lose, let's say, let's say I'm wrong on Zach Moss, who is being drafted over Singletary despite the numbers I just told you. If I'm wrong on Zach Moss, maybe my ego gets hurt a little bit from being wrong on Twitter, saying, like, don't draft Zach Moss. Whatever, I don't lose out. But if the people who say draft Zach Moss at his current ADP win, what are they really getting? They're getting 10 to 12 touches of a running back in a backfield that doesn't get used and who has to fight another guy for touches inside the five yard line. So to me, it's just a situation that I don't care either way. Thus, I'm not trying to pay a premium for a guy
1: I don't think is going to get touches anyways. Yeah. Don't go into the Zach Moss vortex here, people over his last five games. 1 reception zero, zero, 001 and 1 despite the fact and it reminds me John of Philip Lindsay in this way Philip Lindsay was an accomplished pass catch, catching back in Colorado Zach Moss at Utah 76 percentile 9.7% percent college target share per player profiler yet not used in the passing game right so i don't see how Matt Breda coming in can help the situation in any way for Zach Moss you can also say that about Philip Lindsay this year
2: because uh he could easily lead that team in both carries and rushing yards. The difference is you have to pay like five rounds higher, I believe for Zach Moss, as opposed to Philip Lindsay. And then you also have to ask yourself, really, what are you getting with Lindsay? Because I would expect the Texans to compete for league records in a fewest yards per play and fewest points per game. Yeah.
1: Oh, Awful. Last one, Marcus Moser came on last podcast. His bold prediction, which I'll ask you at the end, of course. He likes Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert has always produced when given the opportunity. Trey Sermon is the back de jour in the rookie class so that people really think can step up and grab a hold of this backfield. But Jeff Wilson now injured. So Mostert, when he was on the field, good team that has a good rushing attack, certainly going to get fed. Don't know if he can stay healthy. Where are you on Raheem Mostert? Because he's a guy that I think – Contrary to Zach Moss, does have that high ceiling if he can possibly hit it.
2: I like both Sermon and Mostert. The issue is we also know this is going to be a three-headed backfield. Kyle Shanahan confirmed as much in his post-draft presser when he was talking about Elijah Mitchell, just saying that we understand, the 49ers being we, that we led the league in the third running back getting the most snaps at that position. They used three guys. Also, if you look over the past two years, even last year, if you stand it alone in an island, the 49ers running backs as a cumulative unit recorded the most fantasy points and most fantasy points per game among the league's backfields. So you do want a piece of this backfield, but also as a timeshare, I'm not paying up for Trey Sermon as much as I love him. Um, I would rather sit back and just take Mostert at a discount. I've even been taking Wayne Gallman in the last round because he's not being drafted, and I would expect him to have a role, and maybe that's Elijah Mitchell, but just the fact that we don't know who it is tells us that it's going to be someone, and so I've been taking my shots late as well. Also quickly, I will say if you are drafting the 49ers, which you should be because in these offseason best ball tournaments we're doing, The formatting this year, since the regular season extended, lend itself to three different tournaments in weeks 15, 16, and 17 uh, that are for the playoffs and the championship, week 17 being the championship best ball week. And we don't know what's going to happen. Of course, a lot can change by then, but we do know the teams that are playing. And if we're lucky enough to even make the playoffs, we should prep for success with what we do know ahead of time. And what we do know is that 49ers play the Titans, Falcons, and Texans in week 15, 16, and 17 and what lends itself, what looks like logically three shootouts. And so not only am I making sure I leave all my best ball drafts with at least one 49ers player to set myself up for success if I'm lucky enough to make best ball playoffs, I'm also stacking with at least one Texans player, most likely Brandon Cooks or Nico Collins thinking that week 17, because the 49ers right now, if you look at Vegas books are favored by 16 and a half points over the Texans in week 17. So that tells me that it's going to be a 49ers blowout and thus the Texans will be throwing. And so we're trying to get a receiver with
1: volume for championship week. That is such actionable advice right there about looking ahead. We don't know what's going to happen, but taking a look at those matchups are absolutely critical. That's a great call, John. You put a tweet out recently about the Jets. There's a couple players on the Jets that have gained momentum recently. And look, if we don't think the Jets are going to be good, which many don't, that doesn't mean anything. Look at James Robinson last year with Jacksonville. So I want to start at wide receiver. And people may talk about the LSU wide receivers, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall, but I will see that and raise you old miss wide receivers, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, and now Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore getting a lot of buzz, John in Jets camp. It's
2: not even a drum beat anymore. It's a symphony. It's as if it's obvious that Elijah Moore is going to break out as the team's slot receiver. And in Best Ball Leagues, I was taking Jameson Crowder because he was falling to Van Jefferson, Byron Pringle range as a guy who no one wanted to take despite being talented because it looked like he was going to get cut. And it was worst-case scenario that he re-signed because there's no way they're playing this Slot receiver on the last year of his contract for an explosive rookie playing that same position. So I'm now worried about Jamison Crowder. Having said that, for Elijah Moore, you do have to pay a premium, but he is my favorite receiver among that trio to draft. They were actually using surprisingly Keelan Cole on the yep. opposite side of Corey Davis at they OTAs. They like Keelan Cole. Yep, but yep. but but to be fair. When I tweeted that, a lot of people pushed back and said, like, that's fine, like Denzel Mams. And that's very true. Um, I'm just passing along the information. I'm not really in the picks business. Uh, I am in the business of information, trying to help you get smarter and just become a better player overall using macro strategies. And so... Just like B.C. Johnson, for instance, maybe Keelan Cole does carve out a role, but B.C. Johnson was the Viking starter for two weeks last year until Justin Jefferson was suddenly the starter in week three because they had enough of B.C. Johnson. So maybe Denzel Mims' talent as a true alpha profile guy uh, eventually succeeds Keelan Cole in the long term but right now we know that Keelan Cole's in starting 11 personnel Denzel Mims with the second string and also Tyler Croft is playing over Chris Herndon with the starting offense as well
1: now let's go to running back non-sexy running back time with Tevin Coleman but if he gets the starting job there it's worth looking at you'll look at the depth chart for the Jets P Ryan still there Michael Carter drafted in the fourth round Ty Johnson if you will Tevin Coleman, if you're going zero RB or whatever you want to say, he's certainly viable if he's the starter. The question is, John, is he going to start? How long will he stay there?
2: We all love Michael Carter, right? But also you need to always remind yourself when you're drafting that we think we know more than we do and thus pretending like we are 100% right. uh, That's wrong already because we're not right 100% of the time. And so when you don't get Michael Carter, who again, I, I love, I'm even reaching over others because I think he will carve a rollout in this backfield and eventually be a three down option. We know that Tevin Coleman is getting first reps. Also Tevin Coleman is is familiar with O.C. Mike LaFleur's offense, the only running back among this group who's already familiar with the playbook in a zone-cutting scheme. Thus, he does have an edge. And so for an ambiguous backfield, it is historically intelligent to just grab a guy because anyone can make a role for themselves. And right now, it does seem like Tevin Coleman for zero RB builds, or just getting someone in the last round to complete RB four or five builds, Coleman's that guy that's a really good value.
1: You and I both talked last year, John, about Sam Darnold and how we thought he was really affected by the Adam Gaze virus, which may become a thing, by the way, we can say this. Now he's in Carolina. Most are out on Darnold and they think he's done. I do not. I in fact, he's one of my favorite late round best ball picks. And I would even consider him for seasonal leagues because if you're gonna stream, you can get him late, see how he gets, you know, the start he gets off to, and go from there. I understand the concerns. I believe in my heart that the whole scene ghost video has thrown everyone off of Sam Darnold. Refreshing start, DJ Moore reconnects with Robbie Anderson, McCaffrey back. Sam Darnold, where are you at with him? And there are some very intelligent people off Sam
2: Darnold completely, if only because they didn't like him coming out of college anyhow. And we've seen the last three years, two of those being under Gase, Adam Gase. Having said that, for better or worse, I am all over Sam Darnold this year. Just the fact that Joe Brady schemed career highs for five different players, one being Teddy Bridgewater's passing yards, against, in hindsight, what was the league's toughest passing schedule. I don't know what will happen whenever Sam Darnold launches it deep, but I do know he launches it deep at a higher career rate, much higher than Teddy Bridgewater. And so now we are going to at least have the opportunity to see more explosiveness over the top from this offense. And again, I don't know what's going to happen. It could sail 20 yards over every receiver's head. But the fact that we're going to see it with Joe Brady that's an opportunity I want to buy in, especially because as you mentioned it, everyone's out. Sam Donald is not even a QB2 in best ball leagues right now. And so you can easily round him out with both DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. The latter, who is also being undervalued right now, is the wide receiver 32. And I think he should be treated as a wide receiver 25, 28 uh, with Donald in the last round of
1: QB2 or 3 builds. Given that shirt you have, which is absolutely amazing, folks, go to the YouTube channel and see. He just recorded with, with Hayden Winks and Josh Norris. He's got a Ric Flair Hawaiian shirt. I have to ask you about a margarita. Salt or no salt on the margarita? I am a salt, even though I do like chili salt. And I'm actually a mezcal marg guy. Uh, I prefer mezcal to tequila. Ah, very nice. That's a nice little flavor there. Fantastic. I want you to criticize, John, as the best ball expert, my best ball strategy. I just can't take QB early. It's so deep. I've been hanging around getting Trevor Lawrence late with the rushing upside. But something I've done recently, which I saw ancillarily is now being talked about on Twitter, is I'm going in your FFPC leagues. I'm grabbing Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. I believe Taysom Hill is going to start – It doesn't look like that right now. Maybe he'll start eventually, or maybe he'll just be worked into certain packages. But whoever is guiding that Saints offense with Michael Thomas, with the dump-offs to Alvin Kamara, is going to have fantasy value. So I'm just trying to say I'm waiting on QB. I'll take the extra running back or wide receiver early, and then I'll wait till the end. And yes, I will miss out on the Marquez Valdez-Scantling pick, which, by the way, helped me last year. I'm not saying anything bad about him to get the double tap on the Saints QB. Is that a bad strategy? It's not a bra- bad strategy.
2: I would just suggest you remember your format. So is this for like a 12-man league? Is it for Best Ball Mania tournament team? What it's is for, it for
1: 12-man like? league. 12-man leagues and your 28-rounders. Yeah. Okay,
2: so the only issue is that you're playing the floor game in 12 man leagues. Like basically this is why I always preach to everyone like the, the million dollar, the 200 K tournaments are a lot of fun. I play them all the time, but you're not logically going to get your ROI there. Cause you're not going to win a million dollars. Spoiler alert, not just you, the listener, the universal yeah. us, we yeah. aren't going to win a million dollars. So I tell everyone to play three man and 12 man and six mans, because that's where you're going to get your money. And for 12 man leagues, of course, you don't really want to bank on Jameis and or Taysom as your QB one, which I'm assuming you're not doing. I would just say make that a QB three or four build, which is fine because to literally to have like over 50% ROI in 12 man leagues, if you just get your roster structure construction correct and pay attention to bye weeks, like that's all it is. It's not even about diving into the weeds of the individual player analysis. It's just making sure you have three or four, four or five. 9 or 10, and 2 or 3 QB, running back, wide receiver, tight ends. It's literally that simple. Don't overlap bye weeks in your two, Q, in your two onesie positions, and that's about it. Having said that, there is a big-picture discussion to have because it wasn't exactly the death of the late-round quarterback, but the margin of scoring between the top five guys, Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen, Dak, and Kyler, was so different last year And I don't think it was anomaly. I actually think it's a passing of the torch because the best arms are also having high rushing floors all of a sudden. So And also with Lamar, you're getting a discount because remember, 2019 MVP year, 9% touchdown Mm -hmm. rate. We knew it was going to happen last year. We knew regression was coming, having said that he dipped to quote-unquote only a 6.9% touchdown rate, which is amazing. And honestly, when they got healthy against the Cowboys from week 13 on, they averaged over six yards per play. They were back to that fine-tuned, all-cylinders-go offense, which I expect to happen again. So I do believe in taking the discount on Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews this year as well. But I have preferred, for 12-man leagues where I'm playing the floor here, a top-five quarterback just because I do think they are legitimately that much better than the next guy, whether that be Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, or Russell Wilson.
1: Yeah, that's very fair. And I'm all in on the Lamar bounce-back, too. Mm-hmm. Where Just recency bias is soaking in here. Folks, this guy was the premier-dominant Fantasy League winner two years ago. Yes, last year up and down, but he did end the season strong. He's got more weapons this year, another year under his belt. Totally agree with that. Absolutely. I have a question here from Dr. Tony in the fort. He wants to know about Buffalo's offense. He said, look, Stefan Diggs was incredible last year, but what do you project for this season? He's always had injury issues. Last year he wasn't. Is Josh Allen going to face a little regression like Lamar Jackson did? Emmanuel Sanders in, John Brown the deep threat out. Where are you on the Buffalo offense as a whole? So you would think there's regression baked in,
2: having already been an uber-efficient offense, career highs in fantasy points per game and past attempts per game under Brian Dable for Josh Allen. Having said that, you have to also remember that there's meat on the bone because weeks five through eight, they were the team that unfortunately ran into that Nashville COVID outbreak, and thus they played only 17 days of rest between four games. They had, they had Tuesday games jammed in to Sunday night and Thursday night turnarounds. And that's when their offense completely cratered. They did that without John Brown too. So literally nothing went right for a full month. Thus, I think there is a lot of fantasy goodness still left on this team and also the continuity factor. Just to bring back all five starting offensive linemen, you lose John Brown, but you also have Gabriel Davis and Emmanuel Sepp Sanders stepping right into action. So Diggs averaged 12 targets per game without in the seven games without John Brown last year, logically lending him a higher ceiling. I know it's not apples for apples because perhaps Sanders steps in and just takes John Brown's targets, but I would also argue against... 34-year-old Emmanuel Sanders, making a true uh, difference-making impact. And so I am high on Diggs as my wide receiver two overall, right behind Tyreek Hill. I do think Josh Allen um, is a great pick, and I do love the Bills offense. The issue is Josh Allen is going as the QB two overall, whereas I think it should be Mahomes and Lamar in some order. And then Dak and Kyler have major arguments. Again, I talked about that top tier earlier. Week through week 10, Kyler averaged 29 fantasy points per game as the QB one overall. He banged his shoulder, throwing shoulder against the Seahawks in week 10. And from that point forward, just 17 fantasy points per game, a completely different player who refused to run because he was injured. And then Dak, the past two seasons under Kellen Moore, has been second in fantasy points per game among quarterbacks. And so to pay the premium for Allen, who I do love, like I said, over those four guys who aren't going away, we know what they offer weekly. That's where I'm out on Josh Allen. But again, he's still
1: a top five player for me. And I remember that Tennessee game. That was a run for the Bills. Great call. They played at Miami Week 2. They squeaked that one out. Then they beat the Rams at home. Tough game. Rams came back. They win at Vegas on the road. Then they have the Tuesday game that was postponed. They go to Tennessee. They get shellacked 42-16. Then have to play Kansas City at home six days later. That was a great point because that was and an that's,
2: odd run there. That's the game, remember, that John Brown came back for, but it was like the – It was like the Calvin Ridley week three against the Packers where he shouldn't have been on the field. Uh, Allen threw a couple bombs to him. I still remember watching. Allen threw a couple bombs to him in the end zone and like normally Brown would catch them. He just had some like fingertip drops he couldn't even jump up for because he was still limping so much. And then it was the next two games as well after those that they endured that inefficient, injured, tired stretch. Mm -hmm. It was capped against the Patriots, a divisional game on the road, I believe as well. It was just a stretch that, everyone tends to forget because so much happened like I'm not I'm defending everyone like there's a lot that happened last year even for instance the the Browns offense like everyone still cites those three weather games where like no one could throw the ball into their numbers but we need to actually take those out and then evaluate the Browns offense that way so last season was hell on earth Um, it's hard to remember these things but that's why I I think there's a little ceiling in the Bills offense that no one's talking about
1: yep especially when I was just happy John that they hit their over-under number for team wins last year. That's what really mattered. Do you have a favorite late-round tight end, and why is it Gerald Everett? So (laughs) it is Gerald Everett. The thing is, though,
2: it's not really a uh, late-round tight end for me. He's my tight end 12 overall, right ahead of Adam Troutman, and that's only because – Troutman, I assume, will be on the field every snap, but how often? I'm just maybe it's just bias, honestly, just a blanket statement to say how often have we hyped and believed in guys who we knew were going to be on the field, and it just didn't matter because the late round tight end position just doesn't matter historically. And so I'm done with it. Uh I am very high on Gerald Everett. I believe it was Rich Rebar that tweeted over the last five season. Russell Wilson has been at least top two in end zone targets in that time. And we know there is no competition. Even Will Disley, when he returned from injury, wasn't being used as heavily as Jacob Hollister. And so there is no competition for Gerald Everett. Uh, Also recall that even though I am prioritizing Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller above everyone else, even in like best ball leagues right now, you should be playing three mans and you should start those drafts with Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. Their bye weeks don't overlap. And you basically win the onesie position at least one of four positions every single week, which is my favorite strategy right now for three man leagues. But Rebar also wrote about this, that the margin and scoring from the tight end one, Travis Kelsey to the tight end three, actually Logan Thomas last year was the widest margin since 2003. So that also tells us there's going to be a little bit of sinking back for Kelsey, maybe opening the door for Waller to finish the tight end one. But overall, it's just the fact that the tight end three on, they're going to be on the field, but do they really matter? <laughs> I don't
1: think so. Yeah, boy, that double tap Kelsey and Waller, that's a great strategy early in those smaller leagues. I mean, you you really can get an advantage on that yeah. position. John, give me two things you can't wait to do now that we're coming out of COVID. Oh,
2: Read more. My books stack up and I've tried to build a Tim Ferriss habit of reading 30 minutes per night before nice. bed. But you know, at the end of the season, I usually like build these good habits. I'm actually training for a marathon right now as well. Um good near, nearly there. I'm almost there. But I build these habits throughout the off season and then they just come crashing back down. And it comes close to like picking up smoking instead during the regular season. <laughs> So all of this isn't going to matter, I know. But I, I look forward to reading more over this next month mm-hmm. and honestly just being in the sun with friends because the industry leagues are opening back up in August. I think I have something booked every weekend of August, madly enough. And so I'm just excited to see everyone under one hotel bar roof again. Yep,
1: Yeah, Flex League going to be in person again. Last year was online. Really looking forward to that. That's are you going to be there this year? Yeah, it's going to be in too. New York, right? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Great. We'll connect. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Rookie QBs. I just heard JJ Zacharison this morning talk about this on his late round pod. How are the are they going to be relevant? To what degree? And how does it affect the other players on the team? So let's start. Trey Lance in San Francisco. Jimmy G's there. I mean, he is basically free, John, in every single draft. God forbid Jimmy G, you know ends up starting four games. I mean, the fantasy world will explode. But Trey Lance is there. How do you think he fits in in year one? So looking in a seasonal perspective, obviously in Dynasty, he's a great buy, but seasonal Trey Lance, what do you think? I think he's actually my highest
2: roster quarterback. Uh, Mind you, I've been drafting both for my job and for fun since March. Uh, And in those leagues, like Trey Lance was just being, even though we knew he was a top three pick, he was just going overlooked completely as like a QB 26 QB 27. And now he's being treated as a mid range starter, like a guy who everyone thinks is going to start half the season. So the way I'm treating Trey Lance is for 12 man leagues. I don't use him in two QB builds just in case because Garoppolo is still on the roster and they actually did, whether we think it's intelligent or not, they did carve out cap space to keep Garoppolo all year long. Mm -hmm. And so It differs from player to player. So Trey Lance, the San Francisco bye week, is week six. Maybe they use a Dolphins-like plan, no matter how Garoppolo's playing, and build Lance up to week seven, just like the Dolphins did with Tua, and start him from that point forward, no matter how they're faring. Having said that, a guy like Dak, let's say, where it's like the perfect two QB build for tournaments... Dak and the Cowboys bye week is week seven. And so you basically have to have Trey Lance starting by week seven if you have Dak Prescott. So I would just suggest whether you're high on him or not, be very careful of who you're stacking with. I think Lamar and Trey Lance is amazing because the Ravens bye week is not till later in the year. And so when I have Trey Lance for two QB builds, that's how I prefer to treat it. But either way, I want
1: a lot of Trey Lance. You brought up Dak, and you actually did him for the Player Profiler Draft Kit. Dak Prescott, folks, let's not forget how he started the year. I mean, just explosive beyond belief. So he has a chance, I would think, John, to have a monster year, and usually going right around, I'd say, QB5 right now. QB five, and again, two seasons
2: in a row, last year was only five games, but two seasons in a row, he's averaged the second most fantasy points per game among quarterbacks, uh, 23 fantasy points per game and 20 starts engineering Kellen Moore's offense. He averaged 30 and a half last year and his four full games. And so nothing has changed about this offense. The same way we assessed the Cowboys last year is the exact way we should be doing it this year. Blake Jarwin again healthy to start the season. Um, you're going to have healthy Zeke back without COVID fog around this time. You get all three, all five starting offensive linemen back after Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, Zach Martin missed a combined 36 games. Plus you have a CeeDee Lamb in his second year. Nothing has changed at all for this offense's outlook, whereas their defense arguably stayed the same, if not got worse, even though I don't know how you get worse than Mike Nolan's just complete abomination last year. So you should be all in on the Cowboys yet again.
1: Moving over to Chicago, you can sense the pressure coming to Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy on NBC Sports Today, in fact, reported. He said, if no double doink, we were going to win the Super Bowl that year. I don't know about that, John, but I know that they definitely traded up because they felt the heat with the Trubisky disaster and took Justin Fields. Yet they expect us to believe that Andy Dalton is our starter. Now, I don't know what that means. Andy Dalton is our starter on June 22nd means to me that if there was a professional football game on June 23rd, then he would be the starter. But that doesn't mean he's going to be the starter in September. What do you think about Justin Fields this year for the Bears?
2: See, I've heard this opinion. I don't know why there's any reason for us to not believe Matt Nagy, though, who has historically just made the wrong decisions. Uh, (laughs) We we know he's ignorant. Thus, what he's telling us is the truth. So I believe Andy Dalton will start. Why I still have Justin Fields in the third tier of quarterbacks and as my QB 18 overall, whereas he's not being drafted there right now in best ball leagues, is because the Bears play Sunday Night Football week one against the Rams. Andy Dalton is going to last a half, if that. Uh, There is no way Andy Dalton, coming off a career low in yards per attempt at his age, is going to engineer a Bears offense with a similar offensive line to last year's Cowboys. They, I imagine they won't be able to move the ball. Thus, they have no choice but to bench Andy Dalton at halftime to stir up some kind of energy to hopefully just get a few downs, and then Justin Fields launches from that point forward. So I have been still been drafting Justin Fields as if he's going to get
1: 15 or 16 starts under his belt. And the last one, Mac Jones. Once he did not get picked at spot number three, Everything sort of went haywire. You could see him falling. The Patriots did grab him. Cam Newton there. I've seen reports that Mac Jones was great early. Then I saw reports that Mac Jones is a ways away. Where do you think he takes over for Cam Newton this year? I think the worst case scenario was that he misses a few
2: games behind Cam Newton, but ultimately Cam Newton, unfortunately, at the stage of his career, Uh, just plays himself out of it, a lot like the Broncos situation where I would say Drew Locke starts, but it doesn't matter. He's just going to play himself out of that situation. And so everyone is treating New England players right now as if Cam Newton's going to start. Whenever they should say, who cares, let's treat this as if Mac Jones is going to start. And this offense is just going to be completely different with Matt Jones under center. A lot of 12 personnel now with Hunter Henry and John U. Smith. Um, Nelson Aguilar, who proved to be an amazing deep threat out of the slot last year for the Raiders, is now yep. joining Matt Jones with a skill set that doesn't overlap with a intermediate possession receiver like Jacoby Myers. And then Kendrick Bourne, also just a, a third down red zone kind of guy. And so I've been getting a lot of Nelson Aguilar, James White in the last round since he fits the archetype of late-round running backs we want to target. Just guys with pass-catching roles with statue quarterbacks, assuming Matt Jones is under center, and there will be a higher target share for running backs since that wasn't the case last year with Cam Newton. And that's how I've been treating that offense.
1: Give me two breakout players this year in fantasy. Breakout players. Any position? Any position. Let's go with Mike Williams.
2: Because for the first like time it. in his career, he won't be pigeonholed as a twenty a dot uh, downfield red zone threat. He's actually going to have an opportunity to lead the team in targets since this offensive scheme under Joe Lombardi is completely different than Anthony Lynn's uh, project. So I'm excited to see what Mike Williams could do if he gets 140 targets, because he is basically poor man's Kenny Galladay. He just hasn't been treated as a receiver that can also play underneath. And then I will also say Chase Claypool.
0: Who yes.
2: we have to remember, again, a lot of this stuff gets lost in the weeds since last season a lot happened. But 10 touchdowns in his first 10 games, and then from week 12 on, only played 62% of the team snaps, only saw 16% target share as a part-time player. Because remember, in between that week 17 bye where they rested their starters, because it didn't matter because they beat the Colts the week before, and the wild card abomination, where uh, Ben Rossburg played the worst half of postseason football I've ever seen in my oh. life. Uh oh. Uh, Mike Tomlin even came out and said that he scaled back Claypool's snaps intentionally because he was worried about tiring Claypool out for the rookie wall. I have no idea if a rookie wall exists, but that's literally what Tomlin did. And so now as a full-time player, I believe Claypool at least will have more opportunity for downfield plays. Rossberger was 10 of 34 throwing to Claypool 20 plus yards deep last year. Not good, but if he's going to be more of a full-time player and at least have more downfield shots and giving more more volume downfield, that's what I'm looking for. Maybe it goes awry. I don't know, but I at least want the opportunity for more like plush targets like that.
1: You're training for a marathon, so to me, you're fearless, but if you are on fear factor, what's the one thing you'd say, you know, I think I'm out of here?
2: I genuinely don't think there's a thing uh i i've I've actually tried to go on survivor because i will eat and do any challenge uh i don't care i I genuinely don't care so i don't think i fear much outside of like you know psychological if we go deeper and just start talking about death and everything i don't even know if i fear that but but no like honestly i don't think there's a really an activity that i would just say nope not a chance like Uh, now now i'm not in a game show so like I don't really play a lot of pickup basketball or a uh, skydive because the risks like aren't worth the reward of me just hitting the ground and saying I did it. Like who cares about yeah, yeah, just yeah. saying I did it in life. But like if I was on a game show and the incentive is suddenly like even a hundred K let's say not even right. a million. Like of course throw bugs, put me in like a saw trap.
1: I don't care. Just, let's do this. John, I love Survivor. Also, I, my wife and I tried out once for Amazing Race, and we actually got to the last level. And then we found out my wife was pregnant. Uh, so oh. I will, we should do a fantasy well, football Survivor. We should do that. That would be, I think that would be tremendous. CBS, I get on it.
2: I shouldn't sigh. By the way, uh, it's <laughs> obviously a tremendous <laughs> event in your <laughs> life. Yeah. You, you, you just swapped good events in life, is all you
1: Yes, did. of course, of course. But we did watch that amazing race, and it ended in Vegas, which was just unbelievable. Would have been anyway, permit. I digress. The Bengals offense. How about T. Higgins versus Jamar Chase? What do you think? T. Higgins, to me, is undervalued. Jamar Chase, they're just sliding in right there. But Burrow had a good connection with Higgins there. If Burrow stayed the entire year, Higgins would have crested 1,000 yards, which as a rookie-wide receiver is unheard of. What do you got there, Higgins and Chase in Cincinnati?
2: Yeah, Higgins averaged 8.1 targets per game in those eight full games with Joe Burrow. And now we add Chase into this mix with Tyler Boyd from the slot. The way I've been treating this offense, even though I do believe Chase leads in targets, it's just the fact that his ADP is wildly out of control. And so if you're going to give me discounts, knowing that this is going to be a pass-heavy offense, right? Like Pat Thorman at established the Run even wrote that in Joe Burrow's 10 full games, this offense led the league in pace from neutral game script, and also had the most plays per game uh, with Burrow as well. And so if you're giving me all of that passing volume now, because they did lead in pass pass attempts per game and drop backs with Burrow, I'll just take the discount on receivers, since we're going to double stack them anyways. And so although I like Chase, I don't have much, if any of them, because his ADP is just too high, whereas you can get Higgins a couple rounds later.
1: Yep, absolutely agree. And with Burrow, they were super fast. Neutral game script, I think they were first until Burrow went out and they ended up being like fifth or sixth. Where This question came last week from uh, on Twitter. Where's your favorite spot to pick in seasonal leagues? Do you prefer to be in the middle or the ends? Do you have a favorite spot? First or last is typically because your strategies are already honed out. And, and
2: again, there's a lot of people talking about like the RB dead zone, the zero RB, like all of that right now in the industry. Uh, for the record, I've, I've been fighting everyone. I, I genuinely think like if we can memorize movie quotes, uh, you can memorize four or five draft strategies. It's really not that hard. And so just to to plan ahead, and then you can work within the boundary. It's like life. Like it's not linear. It's all, everybody's life is just chaotic and goes a certain way, whether you want it to be a perfect manuscript or not. And so to at least start at one and say, I can go anchor RB here. I can grab an elite running back. And thus the next three or four guys I get are ceiling guys, like a Javante Williams, like a. Uh, Um, who I'm like a Michael Carter, just guys we think will explode and we don't have to worry about their floor because we're essentially using Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin cook for two spots anyways, weekly or at the very back where we can just ignore running back two and just double tap receiver or go elite tight end receiver and then worry about your running backs later. And just to have already those ideas carved out at those spots make drafting much easier. Whereas the middle you can plan, but you're a victim of what's happening. Because like, if anything changes behind you or in front of you, that's going to dictate you. So
1: it just seems like you're always on your toes if you're in the middle and I'd just rather be comfortable. Same. I totally agree. I hate the middle. I want to force action. And I love having that double pick. I don't like to do one and then just sit and have to wait and react. I'd rather be able to say I can corner the market here like the old Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd trading places. Corner the market on the orange juice. Corner the market on the assets. Being at the end or the
2: beginning also just lets you go get a drink in between. So it makes makes life easier.
1: (laughs) That's the best part about it, of course. (laughs) I'm all in on the Rams offense this year. I think Sean McVay is going to unleash that offense with Matt Stafford. He's done amazing things with Jared Goff, which I think is like the emperor's clothes going to Detroit, which means I'm all in on Cam Akers. I think Cam Akers is that sort of late first round running back that could make the push and be a top guy. Where do you place him tier wise among the running backs? No Malcolm Brown anymore. Daryl Henderson was an issue for most of the year, but not at the end of the year. They used to ride Todd Gurley there. Cam Akers, what do you got? So, I have him leading off tier two as my
2: RB eight overall. And I have him in the same tier as Najee Harris and Antonio Gibson at the end T- and telling me, and this is why I prefer tiers, by the way, it's telling me that Najee Harris and Gibson could easily outscore Cam Akers, but in my rankings wise, I have Cam Akers higher, whatever. And that is because I just expect the offense to be different and overall better. The fact that we are now removing Goff's seven air yards per attempt and putting it with Stafford, (laughs) allowing McFay to finally stretch the field and use every inch of turf available to him, also opens up the running game. And the Rams are actually projected with the league's easiest schedule of rushing opponents. Some people scoff at that and say, like, so much changes, who cares after week four? But what I say is we should use the weighted version of that metric because that tells us even if it's not the easiest rushing schedule, Cam Akers still has an easy rushing schedule at the end of the day. And so if we are also getting a viable quarterback now, an elite quarterback who can pass the ball everywhere from 11 personnel, that's also going to open the field for Akers. So I am very, very high on Akers. And word at OTAs is Daryl Henderson isn't even being discussed for like even a third down option. It is Akers' role to run with.
1: Cam Akers season. Time for redraft lightning round. Give me the player you prefer in half point PPR formats at their current ADP. We'll start off with veteran running backs, Leonard Fournette at RB30 down in Tampa Bay, or Damian Harris in New England, RB31.
2: It's Damian Harris and it's not close. I don't think Sonny Michelle makes it out of training camp with the Patriots. And so I'm trying to get ahead of this and say, and this is fractional i know this is lightning around. i'm sorry i talk uh this is fractional differences i understand but Damian harris averaged four and a half routes per game whereas sony michelle averaged eight routes per game if we take that away and just perhaps lend even a few more to Damian harris then it's possible he has three down upside and is used over james white if this team ever has a lead so i like getting an edge right now and leaping for Damian harris
1: Odell Beckham, wide receiver 26, trying to stay healthy in Cleveland, or Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver 28 in San Fran? They are literally back-to-back
2: for me. It is Odell Beckham barely, if only because we know the passing volume will be there. Also, he led in every metric that we chase for fantasy over Jarvis Landry in six healthy games last year. The issue was he only walked away with 14 half fantasy points per game. But if he's still leading the team in targets, target share, end zone targets, red zone targets, and air yards, that's opportunity we need to chase.
1: Better home run threat. So a guy who's a home run threat, but you think can be more consistent in fantasy. Henry Ruggs trying to bounce back from a rookie year where his highlight was beating the Jets and eliminating them from the first overall pick at wide receiver 55 or Nicole Hartman, no Watkins now in Kansas City, Wide receiver, 56. It's
2: definitely Mikko Hardman. He's been being used in OTAs as the team's second receiver. They've actually been working with him a lot one-on-one. Because remember, Mikko Hardman only turned into a receiver at Georgia his... Sophomore year. So he's only played the position for four years. It's why he's still like learning the intricacies and really hasn't exploded any chance he's happened to. I've actually been taking Byron Pringle as well in the last rounds, thinking maybe Byron Pringle, since in the postseason, Pringle ran more routes than Hardman. But -hmm. just the fact he's playing with Patrick Mahomes, whereas the Raiders and John Gruden have no idea to use Henry Ruggs. They took him and used him as a decoy. They only gave him two screens on 580 offensive snaps last year. That just tells me it's a coaching staff who literally wanted to run a guy deep to clear out the rest of the field for Darren Waller. So I'll take Hardman any day.
1: Wasn't there that video of Ruggs chasing somebody down in college when they had an interception or something like that? That sort of speed, how do you not use that in a screen more often?
2: He's a yak machine and yet they literally sent him on fly routes every single time. It's it's. And they took him as the number one receiver in this elite class, right? With Justin Jefferson, uh, Iuke, Jalen Rager, the list goes
1: on and on. It's just, it's bewildering. And last one here for lightning round, better stud wide receiver to veteran, Adam Thielen, Julio Jones, back-to-back in the the ADP.
2: Oh God, this is unpopular take. I think it's Adam Thielen. Uh, Mm -hmm. I understand regression happening just simply because, We wait one side, and it's like, that's clearly not even league average. It's going to come backwards. Having said that, it was very clear there was a reason why Thielen led the league in end zone targets. He also converted the most end zone targets, but led the league in end zone targets because any time they got inside the 10-yard line, that's where they were looking. They weren't looking to Justin Jefferson at all. They were literally calling plays just for Adam Thielen. Maybe that changes, but I also think if we believe Minnesota's defense will be just as bad, forcing more passive game scripts. We also forget that Kirk Cousins was amazing. Like he was an elite fantasy quarterback last year. And that means that it will still be Jefferson and Thielen
1: profiting weekly. Do you have a later round rookie pick in Dynasty League? So like a round three or later guy that you think could actually have a fantasy impact this year? I don't know if it's later, but Amari Rogers, I
2: believe, makes an impact this Mm -hmm. year. He's also going to be used not only from the slot, but try out in the preseason on special teams as both a kick and punt returner, since that's what he did in college too. And so historically, we know that those guys who just get on the active roster on game days because they do offer more than just running routes, those are the guys who have a better chance of making it. And so that's someone I've been
1: leaning towards. John Daigle, fastest hour around. Last question, then we will let you go to have a drink with that shirt on. It's tremendous. What is the John Daigle bold prediction for the 2021 fantasy football season? We talked about the Cowboys offense earlier, but it needs
2: to be repeated to get recency bias out of your head because Ezekiel Elliott, with everything going correctly this season, will be the RB1 overall.
1: Oh, that's a good one. And Zeke is going late. I mean, people are passing on him for Kelsey. That's a really good one. I I like that. Amazing, folks. John Daigle, NBC Sports. Find him on Twitter, at NotJDaigle. Just an amazing job, John. You did awesome work. You cover so much. There's betting. You have best ball. Got to follow the guy for the season. You help me all the time. I took notes here. And I can't wait to connect with you, man. I'll see you in New York. I owe you a beverage. We'll see you and hopefully everyone else in New York. Yes. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovisradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.